0: welcome to make my multiversity the best podcast in our universe for exploring the marvel
1: multiverse i'm Jana hill and i'm elias rosner and today we are taking a trip from the paper gutters to the silver screen as we talk eternals the movie excelsior lights camera eternals
0: we watched an mcu movie Now, I've commented on this show before, but uh, I've kind of fallen quite behind with the MCU, and I don't feel that compelled to return to a lot of it.
1: Which is a shame, because I think the MCU still has legs, but I definitely think they spun out and are very confused as to what they want to do, both Feige and company, but then also Disney and company. Uh, and it has left a lot of the creatives on the ground kind of floundering, I would yeah,
0: say. Yeah, every single time I watch another Marvel thing, I uh, have 50 million ideas of how I would be doing it differently. And I'm sure if I was doing it, it would be just as fucked as it is now.
1: <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Uh, they they really ramped up production on a lot of stuff, and it may have been to the detriment of everything, honestly trying to get it out so fast and so, you know, under the wire.
0: Yeah, I uh, I, I, I work in the movie making industry these days, so I got opinions on uh, how they're conducting themselves. Um, but we watched The Eternals and we watched it together, which is not something we have uh, typically done for the show yet.
1: That's true. Yeah, we didn't record a commentary track, mostly because it was late and we were tired. And why would we want to subject ourselves to that?
0: Well, we want to subject you to that. But uh, we have watched the film. And so, okay, so this was my return to the MCU. And I got to say, how long was this movie? Like two and a half hours?
1: Two and a half hours. There <laughs> was, was like a really good
0: 45 minutes of a movie in this.
1: I would, I'd argue there was an hour and a half of a movie in this. Uh, there was I a really good hour 45 hour. minutes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Of movie. Of movie. Uh, um, and there's a mediocre seven-issue miniseries tying into the movie too. I did not know that existed
0: until today. Did you take a look at that?
1: I mean I scrolled through I read a review of it when it first came out and the review was like yeah I mean it's here I don't know why we needed it but it's here Uh, it fills in some of the uh, time the past stuff with the Eternals in between Babylon and, and Tenochtitlan um that sounds cool maybe whatever yeah it's fine. It's on Marvel right. Unlimited. You can read it. I didn't. I, I We're here to talk to. movie. Okay.
0: So this movie opens 5,000 years ago, right?
1: Uh, seven. 7,000. Because if 7, it's 5,000 BC. Years oh,
0: word. Um, this movie <laughs> begins thousands of years ago. And the first thing that struck me is the Eternals um are on a spaceship. Their costumes are very ugly. Oh, and man. yeah, they're meeting each other for
1: the first time. They've got bad MCU costume.
0: So energy. the MCU cost, the MCU costume energy is like really detrimental to the whole movie. Actually.
1: It is. Yeah. Uh, the costumes don't big make- and shiny and bright, but instead you get, you know, I mean, they look fine. They look kind of spacey, but they look like something that would fall out of like a sterile sci-fi film. Yeah, well, they
0: were just, like, uh, wearing weirdly textured... I know from talking to people who work with this stuff that um, it's really hard to get the texture of these costumes looking good on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, using common household materials, uh, it, it, it doesn't look like something someone would wear because it wouldn't be, right? It's all, like, a cartoon. Mm-hmm. So that's why they always use these weird textures. But this one was especially weird because, like... Um, it just looks painted on, right? Like, all their costumes just had, like, weird little shapes on it, and they kind of, they didn't quite commit to that. Mm-hmm. Visual motif. Yeah.
1: Where, where's Ajax's big, stupid hat?
0: The Thor movies had big, stupid hats.
1: Yeah, what, bring back big, stupid
0: hats. Bring back big, stupid hats. Um, but I was struck that the movie opened with the Eternals are introducing themselves to each other.
1: Yes, yes. They, they kind of show up in a, a big cavern- thing with a celestial in the center the nice thumb holding out got that good kirby thumb did you like the design of the celestials in this one i did i thought uh, they actually made the celestial look properly alien and gargantuan
0: yeah i thought the celestial design and making it that realized live action was one of the more successful parts of the movie mm-hmm. and it's a uh, shame they
1: don't really show up that much but i get why <laughs>
0: yeah, if you don't want to overplay it, it will, the trick will get stale. Yeah. Um but I um it really they felt like massive in this uh, really cool way and a little bit mysterious. Mm-hmm. But they really explained a lot of shit with the celestials by the end of this. So um that spaceship you were mentioning, that cavernous spaceship is called the Domo. Yeah. Which I uh, imagine is not your favorite name for that spaceship.
1: No, but I mean sure whatever. Uh, disrespecting our boy Domo. Would you have replaced one of the Eternals in this movie with the with Domo? No. I would not have replaced it, but I probably wouldn't have named the ship after one of the Eternals.
0: Um, yeah, that's a weird move.
1: Like, it would be like calling it the Zerus.
0: I mean, honestly, that would have been a baller move, and I would have celebrated that. <laughs> um, but, uh, So we get all our Eternals, and, like, right away, my huge problem with this movie, and it's going to underline every feeling I have with the rest of the movie, is that there's way too many fucking Eternals in this movie.
1: Which is amazing, because it's only nine.
0: Right, it's only nine, and there's so many more in, like, the great universe of Eternals, but it's, like, a central team of nine, and it's really committed to the idea that these nine are, like, family, and they have, like, these deep relationships with each other.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And we don't really get to see a lot of that. Yeah.
0: And, um, and, and, and they're mm-hmm. just like how crowded this movie was with um, half finished or ideas that they didn't commit to, um, like really undermine ideas that I liked or things that could have been cool.
1: Mm hmm. For sure. Do you want to list the, the Eternals that are in the movie now, or do you want to get to them as the movie kind of gets to them?
0: Well, so this movie kind of has this, like, getting the band together, Blues Brothers slash Wizard of Oz thing going on.
1: But at the same time, awkwardly splitting its time between past and present for the first, like, hour of the movie in a way that doesn't benefit either side of that equation. Yeah, you
0: said this while we were watching it. You're absolutely right about this. Uh, this movie was, and we should, uh, we're going to be talking extensively about her, uh, directed by Academy Award winner uh, Chloe Zhao, mm-hmm. and um, she was actually making this movie at the same time as she was making her Academy Award-winning movie *Nomadland*.
1: Uh huh. I haven't yeah, seen
0: *Nomadland*.
1: I haven't either, but you know Francis McDormand, and it it won a bunch of awards. Um, uh, but so, so this was I, my... I have no opinions on it because I haven't seen it.
0: Yeah, yeah, but this was my so this was my first exposure to her directorial style.
1: Yeah. It's very deliberate. It's very slow. Um, the shots are gorgeous, and this the Eternal Eternals really felt like of all of the Phase Four movies that I saw, the least Marvelly in its sh- approach to telling a story um, visually. Yeah, you and know, script well, wise, th- it held
0: back mostly on CGI gobbledygook stuff.
1: Yeah and like you had you had these kind of like nice long lingering shots sometimes instead of being like entirely made up of close up and mid shots you'd get this like far shot through a door when the action is happening framed by the door like a lot of really thoughtful and interesting um you know camera work and framing that wasn't purely for the you know for clarity's sake
0: yeah some of it was more impressionistic and trying to evoke mm-hmm. a feeling and there was never a time, not never a time, but there was rarely a time when the camera was pointed at something where I was wondering what was motivating the shot. It was all like uh, either very urgent or, or else breathtakingly gorgeous.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's just a shame that it's all edited together so weirdly.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so I was looking into this because we were talking about it. And it turns out that uh, basically because of scheduling stuff, uh, Chloe Zhao departed the movie and did not do much editing at all and um, she had a lot of criticisms of the first take they did another one after her reading her notes and then she eventually signed off on it I guess because the movie had to come out
1: yeah it was probably um, like a, it's not going to get to the point that I wanted it to be but it needs to come out
0: It's just it was so interesting because it felt choppy because it was somebody else chopped it up and Chloe Zhao has always edited I, I found that interview with her has always edited her own movies otherwise and that's a big part of her directorial style. So like separating that, it felt like an incomplete
1: or an mm. object to me. Yeah. Yeah. And you can really feel it, especially in the first parts, like you can feel it later, but, but early on that. So they try to balance out telling the story of the Eternals. We open up Eternals arrive on earth. We have our um sort of 2001, a space odyssey homage, we got a, a stone blade turned into gold and silver. Uh, yeah, you know, and
0: this the superpowers mm-hmm. are pretty um I mean, so the uh Cersei has got like transfiguring elemental powers which look really cool on the screen. Yeah. Um and Thena has really MCU looking like hard light shapes that she just kind of wiggles her fingers in the air and they appear.
1: <laughs> it's a shield and, and sword. Um, sometimes it's a shield and
0: sword, and sometimes it's like a big clockwork-looking spear that looks like a Doctor Strange spell.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and I don't understand why the Eternals all had like signature superpowers. That's not really a thing with the Eternals.
1: I guess. Well, they they kind of do. Like Makari has his speed, and and Icarus has his uh, his flight. Uh, yeah, but.
0: It feels more like the Asgardians to me. Where like um, a lot, anyone could have like Asgardian illusion magic. Just Loki thinks that's baller, mm. and th- not anyone could have Mjolnir. But that's why he has that the, that special stuff. I didn't understand the idea, and <clears throat> thematically, we'll get into this throughout the movie. But um, I didn't understand. There was so much put into the origin of these Eternals and what the intention of their creation was, but that didn't add up to me. And one of the big things with their superpowers, like, uh, I don't understand why they each have one superpower. If they can have instead any superpower. Of,
1: yeah, instead of them all having the superpowers, but preferring to use certain ones. Right, like, I, I always got the- honing it.
0: I got the feeling that uh, Icarus could probably run at least almost as fast as Makari. Mm. It's like a Superman the Flash situation.
1: Yeah. Kind of, a, almost exactly, yeah.
0: Yeah, I didn't pick those examples randomly, but uh, um, so I yeah the the superpower thing and the fact that there were so damn many of them, um, and I felt like a lot of actors got done dirty, and I well, let's um, I want to I want to keep going through the story. So in the present day, we're introduced to Cersei, played by Gemma Chan, and she is dating Dane Whitman, played by Kit Harrington. Best um, part of the
1: movie. You thought he was, this was the best part of the movie? No, but like he 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 is one of the better parts of the movie, even though he's not really in it that much. He's. I
0: agree. He had a, he brought a cool energy, uh, that was like popping on the screen with that character.
1: Yeah, I was really disappointed when he disappeared for like two thirds of the movie. Both the first time I saw it and this time, I was like, oh man, I really um, thought he'd be tagging along. He could have nice been the be- audience proxy. <laughs> That's true. That would actually have been more have like
0: have five Eternals and Kit Harrington would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but and they get attacked by a Deviant, and in this movie, the Deviants are like these CGI dinosaur monsters. Oh,
1: such a disappointing like the design itself. I actually really like, but like as a Deviant design, dull as dishwater. Yeah.
0: And um it turns out that the deviant's whole role in the story is dull and doesn't need to be there.
1: They're literally there to just be the things that get punched.
0: Yeah, and that's like a aggressively lazy and formulaic to me.
1: Yeah, it is such a disappointment.
0: Uh, can you clarify to me, um, so at the when we meet Cersei, she's living with Sprite and she's dating mm-hmm. Dane Whitman. How yes. much does Dane Whitman know about
1: like their situation? Uh, Jack and shit. From and what then, I like, could gather. And then
0: <laughs> they get attacked by a dinosaur. He just seemed very cool about it in this way. That was weird. I,
1: I was, I was. Oh, I I remember what it is. So he doesn't know anything, but Sprite, because Sprite's like I'm, I'm a natural storyteller, has been telling Dane stories of Cersei and the Eternals and all of that. That's funny. Um, and he doesn't really believe Sprite until things start happening, and then he's like, Oh, oh, oh. But, you know, yeah, he's he... dealing with all this this mythological stuff and he's got his own, you know, because he's, for those who, who may have missed our uh, Avengers issue, issue, episode, he is also the Black Knight with the Ebony Blade. Love Black Knight. Black Knight is cool. So he's he's got his own murky past that is kind of hinted at throughout the movie, but, like, clearly this is him pre-anything really happening.
0: It's so funny, I'm thinking, like, uh, I liked, Kit Harrington's a little bit dopey, mm-hmm. um, but he also, like, uh, you know, he seems like he can, like, take a deep breath and get his shit together for small bursts. It's kind of like the characterization of Moon Knight in the Oscar Isaac show. Yeah. But Kit Harrington I think, it carries it more naturally, actually. Like, uh, he has a lot of charisma for this, like, central, uh, uh, flawed leading guy
1: yes yes he's got. Um, uh, I, I don't know what kind of an energy he he carries he brings It's a nephew he energy that. <laughs> he's got ne- big nephew energy there
0: he was in an snl skit about how he was the ultimate nephew and i can't stop seeing it <laughs> one of the funniest things i've seen in snl in like 10 years um but, but so the um getting attacked by the, the deviants kind of like uh Get, encourage the Eternals now to get the band back together. And we go like walking the earth and we go from place to place to place and the places are all real gorgeous and filmed on various
1: locations. Mm-hmm. And, but before we can start doing that, we have to spend 15 minutes, 20 minutes in the past uh, after Dane Whitman uh, kind of grills Cersei a little bit about how she had an ex uh, and that ex is Icarus and Icarus had showed up in the big fight um, and he he's he's hunky. And he he's
0: played by Richard Madden, who played uh, her current boyfriend's ex- like uh, half brother on Game of Thrones. And it's crazy that the movie can't acknowledge this drives no, me can't. insane. <laughs> Those two never Man, got a chance to cl- get closure. And now they're on the screen together. Not talking about it. Drive me nah. nuts.
1: I get oh, there will be a comic tie in. I'm sure. I'm sure of it. We'll get a Game of Thrones comic tie in.
0: That actually sounds kind of fun. <laughs>
1: So uh, I, yeah, what the, did you think of that of that time? Because this that was really where I, I it solidified for me. This decision to split between the present day and the past was like a bad idea. I'm like either front load it or do all of the past stuff kind of like part way in after have, experiencing the present, preserving some of the mystery. I'm like one or the other needed to happen.
0: My, because my answer, as it
1: is, it was just too much.
0: My answer to this is the same as my answer to almost every problem with the movie, which is if it was a movie about the thing that it spends some time with, it would be good. That's a good idea for a movie, but they uh, nothing goes anywhere and they just go from thing to thing to thing. Yeah, because um, one of the things about the Eternals is that they live forever and like immortality as a blessing and a curse. These are all like easy ideas that we've explored in stories before. So showing them in ancient times has a lot of potential, but like... They mostly hung around with each other, having conversations with each other.
1: Mm-hmm. And when or- we're supposed to be seeing, like in that scene, the love story developed between Icarus and Cersei. Most of it's actually just spent with, you know, Sprite fucking around and Makari running and Druig being Druig.
0: Yeah, they all show up and they do their signature thing um, in this situation, which is Ancient Babylon. I, I gotta say, Ancient Babylon looked really good.
1: <laughs> Oh, yeah. I really like the way the blues they used.
0: Yeah, it was like a beautifully uh, set up and filmed and also just like, I've been watching a lot of low-rent sci-fi recently and the the money is showing on the screen, Marvel.
1: Mm. Looks like a million bucks. Probably like three or four.
0: (laughs) Probably like 200. Actually, probably Um, not enough. (laughs) Yeah, well, of course. Uh, But I, so I, yeah, I thought the flashback was weird, but at the same time, that's something that the Eternals could be about—is showing multiple flashbacks throughout the movie, and like maybe we uh, being more intentional about the order you showed the information in, because like you said, it it goes like in the narrative of the story, it goes from Icarus showing up and her boyfriend being like, "Who that?" and then we go back for like twenty minutes, and she's just like, and we see, oh, it's her ex-boyfriend for a couple thousand years. We see them over like
1: an evening maybe the course of a day the course of a day and then then we it doesn't even cut. seem to be an important day in their life no and then we cut forward to their wedding
0: right and then we cut forward to their wedding but like uh make that an important day in their life think of something important to happen and also like make it about their immortality what was going on in ancient babylon and like how have they changed mm-hmm. in thousands of years they're not together anymore so like uh why were they together? Besides that they're both extremely hunky.
1: <laughs> no, um, we, don't, we don't get any of that.
0: And they also just like, yeah, I would watch Richard Madden make out with Gemma Chan in the movie, apparently.
1: Yep. Oh, but we do get the first official sex scene in a Marvel movie on Sex Rock.
0: Okay, I got a couple things to say about this. <laughs> first... I think that this attitude, which has been mostly spurred on by Disney marketing, um, of oh, yeah. um, marketing of uh, marking historic firsts, I guess yes. also it's a comic book fan thing. But like, I think that this is just like a really unhealthy outlook to have on like art, and also puts like immense expectations on things that can't possibly live up to it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I think, and I think that the marketing machine has so much power in that in that decision making that um it's like really landing with a thud lately at least for me
1: no you're 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 not wrong and especially in this case like it is the most like wet fart scene ever maybe not ever but it's such a nothing nothing burger of a scene yeah they're Uh, naked they 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 say i love you they kiss yeah. Okay, it, but here's my
0: fucking other thing, Elias. Here's my other thing. I said, I had they two kiss things. with
1: fewer clothes than usual, and the camera lingers for three seconds instead of two. Big I, I, difference.
0: Well, for, yeah, first of all, I said at the moment that there was a sex scene in Iron Man, and you said, like, will it cut away before the sex happened?
1: Yeah, like, uh, he, he just kind of jumps on the bed, and they make the wahoo sound, and then they cut away. Well,
0: my response to that is, uh, i i don't like making these lines with like when something is enough of a sex scene or a romance scene or a gay scene. i i feel like once you start being uh, counting things and not other things it's a real slippery slope and you kind of end up in the same place
1: i guess but like and I, I would I, not say that that scene in iron man was a sex scene
0: sometimes sex is
1: funny sometimes people have funny goofy sex with a stranger yeah, but this this was much more like like a cartoon cutaway. Eyes go boinga boinga boinga, and then someone jumps into bed, and then they get punched in the face by a, a cartoon mallet. Like that I kind mean, of a, that's not really like a like a sex scene. Well, so this it's was a like sexual a sexual situation. Th-
0: uh, this scene was like a sexual romance scene. Yeah, and the, but then we're really splitting hairs here. though. so it's like the first sexual romance. I just. If you hadn't <laughs> m- mentioned anything about it, I wouldn't have noticed it. It just seemed like a romance scene. Not a very good one. It, it was kind no. of boring, like you said. Very wet noodle energy. Yep. Um, but the, I guess the MCU has been like famously, uh, and critics have commented on its sexlessness for some time. So maybe this seems like a... I don't know. I don't know what it's supposed to seem like. Yeah, it was just like an ineffective scene of romance between these two characters were really hot.
1: Yeah, it was like maybe the original script closed out was like, I wanna do more with this, and they're like, you gotta keep your PG thirteen. She's like, fine, whatever. Um Yeah, but
0: they That's could have the just, kind
1: of energy it has. Fine, they could whatever. have had like
0: any personal thing to say about each other beyond I love you so much, I love you too.
1: Who knows? Who knows what got left on the cutting room
0: floor? Right, maybe maybe they uh they did but I somehow I doubt it. Somehow I think that uh that
1: that, the- that was all we got.
0: Just that, that like, uh, if there was more said in that scene, it was a lot of the same because th- th- that mm. there was nothing in that scene.
1: Yeah, I wonder if maybe the opposite was true—that this was studio mandated. They're like, "You got to have this scene."
0: That sounds possible too. I yeah, I don't know uh, which end of the spectrum these things come on, but once once you start litigating them, you 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 end up uh, demanding full penetration or nothing else will do.
1: Hmm. I, I, I think I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Like it, it becomes an all or nothing the more you start to try to like chop it up and be like These Duh.
0: these lines are gonna these lines are gonna be different for everybody and part of respecting that people have different lines is accepting that like you know, silly sex scene has as much weight as a uh, romantic sex scene. It's just like two different tones of sex scenes. Mm-hmm. Um and uh yeah and and uh there's no right or wrong way to do it. So being like, well, you know, they um, they said that they were in a romantic relationship, but we didn't see them kiss. Okay, they kissed Both in, in the romantic relationship, but we didn't see anything more intimate. I just like, I don't, I don't like that talk. Okay. Every everything is about the story that it's in with that kind of stuff. And what happened in this story was two people who were really hot had no chemistry with each other and didn't say anything <laughs> interesting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but they liked macking.
0: Yeah. Um, and this is what triggers the, um, the world tour where we're going around and finding the different Eternals.
1: Yeah. So the first Eternal they come across after, you know, Icarus gets Cersei is, uh, well, uh, Cersei and Sprite is Ajax out in South Dakota.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to remember what the significance of South Dakota was, besides that it was gorgeous to film.
1: I think it was just because it was gorgeous to film and kind of isolated. Yeah. Um like all the places they go to other than Cer- where Cersei and sprite were are very isolated locations. Uh no, that's not true. Kingo Kingo is not isolated.
0: Yeah, that's kind of his whole thing is not being isolated. Yeah. Um what did you, th- did you introduce Ajax? Like I don't know what to say about Ajax.
1: Ajak is a priest. It, Ajak is the, the mouthpiece for Arishem, the uh, the giant celestial uh, who gave them their instructions to to kill the deviants uh, and knows more about everything than everyone else and is mostly only a character in the flashbacks because she dead.
0: Right. Whoops. Uh, and we, and uh, well, I guess we'll, we'll talk about that, how, you know, yeah. how she dies when we get there. Um, I thought that this movie did Ajax so dirty, and I can't believe I'm saying this. That's not true. Yeah, neither can I. That's not true. I think that this movie did um, Selma Hayek so dirty. How so? Um, so uh, Selma Hayek, who played Ajax, um, mm-hmm. is like a fantastic actor in comedy, in drama. Like she can do it all. Mm-hmm. She's in she's in Frida. She's in Thirty Rock. Come on um and this movie took the character of Zurus, who is a very boring patriarchal figure. Mm-hmm. And then just replaced Zurus with Ajax, who is I guess a yeah, like a more spiritual figure in the comics.
1: Well, he is the the unhinged, well, slowly more unhinged priest from from issue 1 of Eternals, you know, he because the big head headgear, he hangs out with Dr. Damien He's, yeah, I mean, his whole purpose is to just be like, the eternal, the celestials are coming. But that's, Selma that, Hayek didn't get,
0: thing. she didn't get time to like, uh, you know, cheese it up and uh, do like act big in this movie, and like uh, she didn't really get any characterization at all. And yeah, I just feel like, uh, I feel like that part was like disrespectful to casting an actor of Selma Hayek's caliber.
1: Yeah, and and it's part of the problem of we. At this point, I think, once we reach the finding of, of Ajax's dead body, we pretty much stop with the flashbacks until, like, the last 30 minutes, Then we get one or two more, but we don't get any serious flashbacks. No, we get one more, one more right before, I think, we meet, meet either before or after we meet Druig again.
0: Um, right, well, so the next stop is uh, Kingo, who's filming a movie. Is Kingo in... Filming in India? I forget where they stop next. Uh, yes, Bollywood. Um, and Kingo is played by Kumail Nanjiani, who, uh, I remember, uh, this movie was filmed shortly before COVID. It was edited during COVID. And Kumail Nanjiani got, like, totally ripped and uh, posted on social media about it. Mm-hmm. And then when I was, like, sad and quarantined at the beginning of COVID, I listened to a million podcasts, and he was guesting on all of them, and everybody was talking about his body. And it was kind of fun and kind of weird. Sometimes he would appear with his wife, and that was funny and cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emily Gordon. Uh, yeah. And she would uh, talk about her feelings about like watching him turn into like a muscle-head gym guy to be in a Marvel movie. I don't know. Oh, Just like uh, the, the Kumail of it all was the part of the movie that um, intrigued me the most when it was being made. And uh, real, real winning in this,
1: don't you think? Yeah, Kingo Kingo is one of my favorites of the characters. He's been such a nothing character in the comics we've read so far. Oh my god, he's been such a nothing character. <laughs> I forgot he was he existed. Uh, yeah. but but here he's got he's got a, a big presence as befits the character who is like, "You know what? You know what I'm going to do with my immortality? I'm going to pretend to be a dynasty of actors." Let's go. <laughs> uh, and he has a valet who knows his secret and walks around filming him uh, and is, you know, he's he's an MCU comedic character, but I think he really works. Uh, yeah, well, his
0: name is uh, Karun and he is like well positioned as the human guy. And because he is the comedy, he's the comedy sidekick that the comic relief character gets to bounce off. It's, it was mm-hmm. totally agree. Great setup with the two of them.
1: Yeah, and he he wasn't overused. He wasn't there to just like throw out one-liners. Yeah, he
0: he got the chances to act, and he had like a real gravitas and sadness to him, like Mm -hmm. uh, Dave Batista in the first Guardians movie.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And um.
0: And I liked that um, they took this Eternals character who was nothing, and they gave him a thing that he um. His obsession with like showiness and fame over a lifetime meant that he had to like be both public and private and like what that did to this guy's soul mm-hmm I think that's cool I uh, Kingo was definitely one of the most successful parts of the movie
1: yeah and what you were just saying also shows why there were too many eternals we didn't get enough time to really dig into these dynamics because I don't had even to go know what Icar- eternal to eternal to eternal
0: what was Icarus even doing in the present day was he just like brooding in space and then flying down and punching dinosaurs?
1: I think so. Yeah, I think he was just hanging out with Ajax. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. I just like a no no imagination about what what these characters want or what they could be doing. Mm-hmm. Um and um
1: then we get to the big uh reveal scene, right? I think so. It, it's in here somewhere there's just so much so much dead space
0: yeah so how about we take a commercial and when we get back we're going to talk about arishem the expositor hello denizens of earth 1218 we're the hosts of make mine multiversity a twice monthly podcast I'm Jaina.
1: And I'm Elias. Make Mine Multiversity is your handy guide to all things Marvel. Each month, we get into it with long looks at the careers of Marvel creators, characters, themes, whatever. Sometimes that means we dig into all things X-Men.
0: Sometimes we do a book club for Marvel series past and present. And sometimes that means figuring out which series is our
1: heavyweight champion. Coming down by good old Skylaser to your podcatcher of choice every first and third Friday. Excelsior. Excelsior indeed.
0: And welcome back we're talking eternals the movie
1: the um, movie.
0: so we just arrived at the the big exposition scene where arishem explains the whole movie and the themes of it and what's going on in like a pretty bad scene arishem's played by the guy who voiced megatron in the 80s cartoon of transformers and like he does a good job he's very dramatic
1: yes he does a good he does a lot with uh the little he's given so, uh, do you but want me it... to summarize it, or do you want to do it?
0: Well, I just that it's- I'm surprised. This thing gave us a lot of clarity on a bunch of, like, big, weird stuff that's mysterious in the comics that now has an explanation in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it doesn't add up, and it's fucking silly. Yeah, it hit me.
1: So, essentially, uh, everything the Eternals know is a lie, and- Uh, Arashem is explaining this to Cersei because Cersei's been picked uh, by Arashem to continue what Ajak was doing. There was an orb, it went into Cersei, you know, as you do. It's kind of the same uh, thing that happened in Neil Gaiman's Eternals, where Makari becomes uh, the voice of the Dreaming Celestial instead of Ajak um, uh, and all that. In this case, it's Cersei. And... Cersei is told that one, uh, the Eternals are, are not uh, unique, which I think they kind of already knew that there are Eternals on all on many different planets, um, but that their purpose is not actually to help, you know, kind of like foster the human race. That The reason why they were told to, to protect the, the humans and destroy the Deviants was wrong. Uh, the Deviants were supposed to be what the Eternals were. They were the first, basically, the Alpha build, and they got out of hand uh and so this is the this is the first thing that doesn't really add up to me
0: thematically they they just kind of yada yada that
1: yeah Um, we
0: made some deviants and we did a bad job or whatever so they turned bad so we did it again but you guys were great
1: you guys are great yeah
0: i just like what Uh, went wrong (laughs) what was the was it hubris was it a violent impulse like i don't understand what the eternals put in the deviants that made them bad guys especially because
1: they changed too much the, I guess. Yes.
0: I yeah. It, just, uh, like it was uh, the yada yada something that I guess you're allowed to, but like that seemed pretty crucial to the story to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Why yeah. they were
0: if they were almost as if the deviants didn't need to be here at all.
1: Uh it's almost if. Ooh. Um but
0: what the purpose if? of fighting the deviants is not to is not to protect humanity.
1: No, not to protect humanity, but it is to protect Uh, the celestial seed that was implanted within the planet. Uh, Basically, planets are celestial incubators, or the ones that have Eternals on them, at least. Uh, And by uh, killing all of the Deviants, they are able to let whatever species on Earth is the dominant species grow, increase life, and then the celestial baby feeds on the life, and then when the celestial baby is ready to to go, uh, you know, get birthed uh and blows up the planet and everything on it dies. So fundamentally, I love
0: What's... that. And I is that I do not think that is confirmed to be true in the 616 comic universe, right?
1: No. no. No, 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 because uh Jason Aaron's Avengers was a you know, a different take on that, but you know that Earth was seeded with life and whatever and that there's yeah. a celestial inside. I think no, that's Doctor Who. Doctor Who's got the Moon Dragon.
0: Uh, I no, this has happened in Marvel Comics, that Earth X, the very strange one mm. with the Alex Ross art. Um, there's a Earth is a Celestial Incubator, and um, I'm pretty sure Hickman did that somewhere in his Fantastic Four run.
1: Maybe I don't know. I didn't. It, it might be on one of the Another Earth. I have not read it. I've got it on my desk. Haven't read it.
0: Oh my god! I'm so excited for when you read it. Um, but I just think that like um, bottom line. I understand this this is like capturing the themes of Galactus of these uh just like a the nat- when the natural course of things is so terrible because planets it turns out are just like part of the celestial's reproductive uh, process mm mm-hmm. mhm and uh the destruction of all life on these planets is just like a byproduct to
1: them yeah and the Eternals are more eternal than they thought they were that uh when they become, oh yeah, that they weren't created to go to Earth. you know, that's what they originally thought. they were created to go to Earth because there were these deviants there and they had to take care of them. Uh, but they were actually have been recreated over and over again every time one of these planets goes boom.
0: Right, and they and with their memories wiped each time. Oh, right, because of the Mad Weary. The Mad Weary. Could not believe when they said Mad Weary in that movie.
1: <laughs> we were watching it with captions, so they spelled it like they do in the comics, which is M-A-H-D-W-Y-R-apostrophe-Y, uh, I think is how it's written. That sounds right. I freaked out. <laughs> yeah, Jada was like, are you fucking kidding me? Um, But their explanation for the Mad Weary was kind of cool. Yeah, and it it really did work. The idea was, instead of it being kind of, you know, very sexist, it's just... When a woman you, uses
0: her powers too much and then she goes a little crazy.
1: Yeah. In the wrong ways, too. Yeah. Uh, more of a, like, something in the memory thing just cracks. And you start well, gaining these old memories and basically having, like, flash flashbacks and blackouts. And you're just, I lay, like stuck in these past lives.
0: They, they just... They, uh, yeah, they're, they're eternal, and the memories, like, add up, and the weight of them just, like, crushes you unless you, like, periodically rinse them out. Mm-hmm. Um, which is precisely what the... Uh, and that what the Celestials are doing to the Eternals, and that also really nicely uh, ties a bow on that first scene where they're introducing themselves to each other because they've introduced themselves to each other loads of times.
1: Yeah.
0: Um... There, this however also uh, creates like a big thematic issue for me in the movie Uh oh. Um, so like there's so many freaking Eternals a bunch of them get sidelined and th- they're characterized in very different ways uh, Druig for example who we're about to meet in the runtime of the film um, has mind control powers and mm-hmm. we see that throughout history he wants to like mind control people to stop them from doing bad stuff And the other Eternals are like, Druig, don't mind control people, even if they're going to do something bad. And Druig's just like, why though? And they're just like, it's not right. I thought this idea was totally underdeveloped and boring and really tied Druig to his set of superpowers as like an expression of his identity. Yeah. Like the X-Men's powers often are. Yeah. I don't mind that as a... Well, I don't mind that as a rule, but the movie did it inconsistently, and I, th- and thus I feel like each of their thing was very different. Like, Cersei's thing was that she was like a softy and a romantic, I guess.
1: I guess, right? yeah.
0: Yeah. And and Druid's thing is that he wants to control people, and Sprite's thing is that uh, she's got the disability of being in a kid's body forever. hmm And it was like a disability metaphor. But, like, I think that that got weird because what was Ajax thing? Ajax thing was being played by Selma Hayek and not doing anything.
1: <laughs> Ajax thing was talking to to the to, to Arashem through this orb that wasn't actually her powers.
0: yeah and uh, and then Kingo is like uh defined by what he actually chooses to do, which is what every character should be defined by. Yeah. Um, but so I think that inconsistently cre- created like uh, this tears because so another eternal we haven't mentioned yet is Makari hmm Um, who here is uh played by a deaf actress who I hate have their name written down.
1: Um I don't remember. There's name, too many
0: characters in this movie. Uh Lauren Ridloff is the name of the actress. And um Macari had nothing to do in this movie. She was kind of a love interest of Druig. Um, but the most interesting thing about her was that she ran fast and that she spoke American Sign Language because she was deaf. Um mm. And mm-hmm. th- this is where the movie ultimately lets me down is because they put so much weight into how the Eternals were purposely created by the Celestials mm-hmm. that means that the um the story is about the Celestials purpose in creating the Eternals the way that they did and um how the Eternals react to that purpose and that is what the movie becomes about right like some of them are like oh we have to keep serving the Celestials and some of them are like no this feels like a betrayal I have agency yeah Classic good conflict, but then, like, I don't understand why the Celestial didn't just create um, the same Eternal over and over again. Why didn't they just make, like, 15
1: Circe's? I mean, your guess is as good as mine.
0: (laughs) The reason this bothers me is because in X-Men or whatever, when they're doing this kind of story in a way that feels better to me, it's about how their differences unite them and make them stronger and how they complement each other and the movie keeps on kind of gesturing at the idea of that sort of story about inclusion mm-hmm. without ever had, saying anything about it or showing characters who interact with that sort of thing in every way, right? Druig is defined by the fact that he uh, controls minds and that's like his celestial given power, but why did the celestial give him the mind control power?
1: Yeah, why didn't why didn't everyone kind of have stock abilities, long life, Strength, yeah what etc cetera, etc cetera, and then they train or you know and then each of them based on their personality kind of develop some of the other powers sprite seems
0: so miserable to be trapped in a kid's body for a millennia why did the celestial make them like that like what was that just seems vindictive and meaningless
1: yeah no one else yeah, had, and, to had that and when it's framed in the idea of an experiment like in in the comics it makes more sense because you know why are the eternals all different well they were experimenting It's kind of cruel, but it is. It is what it is. Here, it's cruel, and the story purpose, as you're saying, kind of crumbles out from beneath it.
0: Yeah, and the inequality bothers me, too. Like, Makari's thing was being deaf and fast, but, like, uh, Kingo's thing was uh, having, like, a sensitive relationship with the people around him and uh, wanting to be seen to feel validated, but also having to keep, like... the the feeling
1: of keeping a secret right like that's a character yep gilgamesh's thing is he punches things
0: yeah and i was kind of sad to see that and gilgamesh shortly dies in this movie uh killed by um one of the deviants and um gilgamesh was really fun he was played by um the actor who goes by don lee when he performs in america who is a korean actor who i first met in um train to busan that dude is a megastar. That guy is like 100 million gigawatts when he's on the screen, right? Oh, yeah. He's so charismatic. He lights up every, all of his little like, Marvel one-liners. I was like, oh, yeah, this guy, I can't wait to see him team up with Brett Goldstein, Hercules, or fucking whatever. And then he can't. Because he gets murdered. I'm so mad about he this. He gets murked. Murked by a dinosaur who starts talking. Talking with the voice of a Skarsgård.
1: Yep. Uh, Meet Bill. Or enter, Crow. Now,
0: I knew that they were gonna turn Crow into a blob monster, but like this, I didn't like this at all. Did you? How, Elias? I, I, they
1: why? needed to. I, they needed to either have Crow be in the first ten minutes. He needed to to have already been intelligent and you know different from the rest of the deviants from the get go, or not in this at all. Uh, further I think pro- those are the only probably- two ways that Crow could have worked in this way, because right now it's just this middle mealy mouth thing that once you get to the the final third falls apart even more because he's barely in it and he doesn't drive any of the plot.
0: And I, from I, you know, it was some sci fi nonsense gobbledygook, but from what I understood, um, the deviants have been like sucking out eternal essences from the Eternals that they kill. And when you get enough Eternals, like, jacked into you, you become, like, a real person with feelings.
1: Yeah, but that, that number being one. Oh, no, uh, no, it was two. It was two.
0: But, but whatever the number being, I like, it's weird that, so the Celestials created the Deviants who went bad because IDK, and now the Deviants, and then they made the Eternals to do what they created the Deviants to do originally. And now the first things, the Deviants, are hunting the Eternals, in order to become intelligent, full conscious beings. Yeah. Like that, uh, I don't, were the deviants intended to be monster, like animalistic, but through consuming, like drinking enough eternal blood, they, uh, they become self-aware.
1: I guess. I don't know. The whole thing was just like, absolutely lost me. I was like, sure, whatever. They drink, um, they drink eternal blood.
0: Yeah, it, the whole thing gets yada yada and hand-waved. And then, again, if you completely took the Deviants out, this movie would be really compelling. If just, like, they were like, Arishem is coming back, we need to gather the Eternals. Because the conflict ends up being revealed to be about um, the Eternals breaking down into, like, an Eternals civil war between Eternals
1: who... Um, who want to protect the planet from from the emergence... And the yeah, Eternals from... who want to, uh, the Emergence. See, even, even I started calling it that. I forgot to call it that, and I wrote that down. Ugh. Yeah, that's the the celestial cracking apart the Earth like, like an egg. Like well, a big old egg. Literally like an egg. Um, And the ones who want it to still happen because that was their role. They're like, well, God told me to do it, so we're gonna do it.
0: Here's another interesting idea for a movie about uh, people who, like a spiritual group of people who then meet God, who is disappointing, and then they split down like and how they feel about that.
1: Mm-hmm. And fascinatingly, uh, Ajak being one of the people who decides, no, we have to protect the planet. We can't let this thing that we've spent all this time in that I knew about, we can't let it happen.
0: Yeah, I recently grew a conscience for reasons that aren't important.
1: Yeah. And again, that would have been interesting to explore in the in the background. Like, save that as a reveal, let it be, but then let us see, like, why. But we don't get that. We don't get why Ajak decides now to have a conscience. Like, there's, there is an explanation, and it has to do with Thanos and, and the blip, but... I mean... It... It works, it's just not particularly compelling.
0: Well, it's one of the many things that does Selma Hayek wrong. Um, but uh, we also, we collect a couple more Eternals. Like, I'm, I'm even forgetting
1: them because there's so many. So we got um... Well, you had we had Druig, who was doing his thing in the Amazon. Uh, let, let's run them down. So we have Icarus. We've got Circe uh... and Sprite. Uh, and then we've got Kingo. We had Druig. Uh, and then we had Gilgamesh and Thena. Athena's the one with the mad weary. Uh, and we mentioned Makari, but we don't actually get to see Makari again until basically, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes from the end. Uh, yeah, and... I just, I felt
0: so, but... Uh, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, did, I didn't like how this came. I couldn't help but feel the cynical feeling about um, Disney make, giving the most meaningful... Uh, Disney giving... The least meaningful parts in the story to people who uh, they hadn't done a good job representing up until that point, and then making a big deal out of it, just like across the board, that uh, that bothers me. And it was just like all over this character in this movie.
1: You can feel the mouse's hands, kind of, kind of reaching in and being like, "Fine, we'll let you have characters that aren't like Icarus, but we're but Icarus is the leader, and you have to
0: spend the most time with him." Yeah. Um,
1: Um, just like a... Even though we've got more compelling characters like Fastos. Yeah, Fastos was a really beautiful, sensitive performance. I love, I love Fastos. And the the one cutaway for him, uh, which was pretty brutal, (laughs) he's, oh my god, I don't know how to describe it sensitively, but he's, we find out kind of why he where he disappeared off to and kind of why Uh, and it's uh he's sitting in the ruins of hiroshima in 1945 yeah he did the nukes yeah because he's the engineer and he's like i blame myself for letting them get to this point with all my technology fine i'm not gonna help him anymore i'm done
0: Fastos comes up like last in this movie, but leaves such an impression because he's a really charming guy. He's got a really a husband and a kid who, um, just like you get what their home life is like, and it's cute. Mm hmm. And, um, and he's kind of got this like, uh, science, no such thing as an ethical science, uh, attitude. Mm -hmm. Like March of Progress. Mm hmm. Uh, just like uh, you can't stop people from inventing it, uh, and you gotta deal with problems as they come up. But he really regretted his involvement in it, but um, he he never stopped like building stuff. No. And he's also a pacifist. And one of my favorite things in the movie was he doesn't he is involved in the final battle, but he never fights.
1: Yeah, I mean he does have his his you know his actions. He creates some chains and he holds back a character, but he doesn't do any anything not more than that but anything more more physical we yeah we he re, he you feel that
0: he's renounced violence because of yeah. his complicity in uh one of the most terrible war crimes to occur on the earth which yeah some people felt like was kind of a flippant thing to include in such a brief scene of the movie and I
1: uh mean, I, I can't I, argue against that
0: yeah that's a really valid criticism that wouldn't have occurred to me if i hadn't been told
1: yeah, I, I think it, it works as shorthand, but maybe it shouldn't have been the shorthand.
0: That's, uh, yeah, really well put.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, but um, I'm still sad that Fastos shows up so late in the movie. As as interesting as Druig can be, as, as frustrating as he can be, uh, I would have much preferred Fastos at the uh, hour and a half point instead of the two hours and ten minute point
0: yeah well that because this movie was silly and there was way too many people in it and some of them weren't really in it
1: um yeah we spent so much time in the amazon oh my god i think we were there for a half hour sorry i keep coming back to that but no it's a you're
0: you are correct um fastos also is bringing one more invention to bear for this which is (laughs) all right the goddamn unimind (laughs) elias what does the unimind do
1: well, this movie it brings together all of the uh, energy from the Eternals, their life energy. Uh, it stops them from regenerating and channels all that energy into a singular person, uh, and lets you uh, do stuff with all of that extra energy. Um,
0: you said the word energy a lot, and in comic book, I know that means I got no fucking clue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think I think it has to do with... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no. The, his explanation is they store cosmic energy, and that's how they're able to regenerate and live forever. So the special bands stop the regeneration process, essentially saying they're no longer using the, en- the stuff they're absorbing. They're basically turning themselves into batteries, and instead of being turned on, they're now sending the, the energy back to the grid. I truly
0: do not understand why you would write a screenplay, have that, you know, feasible sci-fi idea, and I follow what you said, call it the Unimind, because it's called Yeah, it I don't know why they the fucking comics, call it the Unimind. And then write a line in, unforced to be like, wow, it's really dumb that you're calling that thing the Unimind. It's just like, uh, is it though? Yeah, uh, <sighs> <That> would... <laughs> you know oh it was. Oh my god, you...
1: I fucking hated that line.
0: Because you, you didn't have to call it the Unimind. You wrote the movie, guys. You could call it whatever you want. You could call it the Eternal Battery. It's cool.
1: Yep. If you're gonna call it the Unimine, own it.
0: Or, yeah, make it, yeah. So, the Unimine shows up, continues to suck. The Unimine should never have come, and the Unimine should be
1: buried in a hole. I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll see if you change your tune next time. We'll see if I change my tune next time. Um, But
0: the final battle happens, and I gotta say, uh, the obligatory final battle in Marvel, um, people have, like, complained about, it, you know, to from here to from here to infinity but um and this one was like pretty a pretty low point in the movie and it sucks because it's coming out so late in the movie you needed some energy and the action was barely energy
1: yeah yeah it's Um, it's a lot of a lot of just stuff happening
0: but the uh the celestial is awakening and starting to crack the earth and the eternals are doing various crazy things to try and stop it and cersei ends up being the one who saves the day by turning the celestial to stone which looks so fucking cool.
1: Oh, that the celestial emerging is probably uh, it's probably my favorite part of the of the movie visually, even though a lot of the stuff is really cool. i am just blown away by how well they were able to make it look properly you know intense.
0: Yeah. And I I love that there's now just like a huge stone petrified god halfway out of the Indian Ocean in the Marvel universe now.
1: Yeah, sounds yeah, we'll like see if anyone, a place, anyone mentions it, but
0: sounds like a place maybe for some Avengers to build a headquarters one day.
1: Hmm. And um, it's very clearly dead. It has been pronounced dead.
0: Yeah, pronounced dead. But I um, we we were talking in the last episode about um, the Avengers living in a celestial being like a cool visual motif.
1: And they Avengers got a big Dead Zone
0: Celestial in the movie, yeah.
1: They can do it. Um And then the movie takes a long time to end, right? Yeah, it kinda it kinda does. Uh even though there's like it really it's only five, ten minutes left. Like once the battle's over, the movie is pretty much over. Um you know, Icarus, we kinda, everyone says their goodbyes.
0: Icarus has uh chosen the dark side to serve the dark god, so he ends up serving as the villain for the last act of the movie. And that's why we never needed the Deviants.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Crow shows up again in that final fight, and they beat up Icarus. We we didn't actually say that Icarus turns out to be the the traitor who, who killed Ajax, did we?
0: Oh, my God. Well, that's the, that twist honestly shocked me. I um, did not know that about the movie. I didn't predict it coming. It was like a good twist that he was the bad guy, and they could have taken that to the end. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, but I didn't they had love to put how they did it, Cr- but that was a problem with the movie.
0: Well, that was a problem this... with this deviance thing not having
1: to matter. Just have Icarus yeah.
0: uh, blast her with a laser beam or whatever.
1: Mm-hmm. And then pretend to, to you know, yeah, pretend the whole time. Yeah. Which, that's something that was actually throughout the movie. Watching it the second time, I'm like, oh, you can see Icarus, like, really struggling the whole time being like, I killed Ajak, and I now have to pretend I didn't. And it's, like, really hard for him.
0: Yeah. Um it is a good twist and it makes the last fight make a lot of sense. But then mm-hmm. whatever then we these like dinosaur monsters are still superfluous. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um
0: and um the final thing they do is they use their power of uh the Unimind also cuz it could do anything to turn sprite into a real boy? Yeah, a uh, real girl. Uh yeah, you know, in the Pinocchio sense.
1: Yeah. Of gender, which is a social construct, <laughs> the, the Pinocchio sense of gender. We have the one, the, the one true gender, Pinocchio.
0: Yeah, yeah. There is one gender, in this Pinocchio. Um, <laughs> Sprite, um, Sprite with this, like, again, this weird, yeah. like, my powers are a curse thing, and only for me, for no explained reason, uh, gets to age now and presumably die, and yes, um, and die. And like yeah and the whole thing is a weird tone but like it had pathos and I was uh I was I was suckered in mm-hmm
1: yeah uh oh uh Icarus flows and flies into the Sun
0: like you do like you have to do
1: like you do Uh, uh what crow, name is crow got murked and it was disappointing but also the best possible outcome for this version of crow
0: hashtag not my crow
1: um and everyone else kind of goes their own separate ways I don't know what happens to thena i don't think no. she's see. hanging out
0: with fastos at the end
1: oh does thena fly off into the sunset with um makari and uh and druig i they think go... we're
0: proving how superfluous thena was to this plot too
1: god yeah they go they go off into space a bunch well, of them they, and they get... as you do with the eternals yeah i
0: was like well this is stupid but at least it's traditional
1: yeah uh, They're off to find the other Eternals on other planets to let them know, basically to fill them in. Cause to let them know that crazy. this job
0: is bullshit.
1: <laughs> yeah. like Workers of the universe, unite.
0: Yeah, the Eternals, a blue-collar story somehow now.
1: <laughs> I feel um, like Chloe Zhao has a lot of blue-collar concerns. In you her know, movies. that's, a,
0: that's a, actually a very good call.
1: Yeah. Uh and then we get the final twist as Cersei is w- having a nice nice little date with Dane. Uh they're walking along. He took he took her disappearing for however long in stride. Uh I guess they talked it out cuz cuz he does show up a couple times like on a screen when they're talking when they're in the Amazon and I like their relationship here. I actually really do.
0: Me too. I I don't know why, but they had chemistry.
1: Yeah, they did. Uh, and then suddenly the music gets ominous, the sky darkens, and Arishem's face is just in the sky, uh, and Cersei, Festus, and Kingo get sucked up into space. And I, I was caught off guard the first time, and I was caught off guard the second time by this again.
0: Yeah, it's pretty. It's one of those like classic Marvel movie twists now, where at the end just like something crazy random happens, and the next time it's just a different movie.
1: Yeah, but at least this time he's, basically he's like, so, you killed my kid, Uh, I'm gonna let you live for now, and your memories, and whatever you experience after this, is gonna determine whether or not when I come back, uh, whether I'm gonna vaporize the earth or not. Bye! I and really hope gets. that
0: this isn't them being like, and Galactus is a servant of the Eternals, created to just, which where, where I fear this is going in like Phase Sixteen. Uh,
1: we we can hope. We can hope
0: not. Um, uh, being a Marvel movie, there's some post-credit scenes. Both of them were actually kind of bangers.
1: Yeah, I I personally like the tradition of first post-credit scene being important, second post-credit scene being funny. This one has two quote unquote important setup scenes. But the first one we get introduced to uh Patton Oswald as Pip and Harry Styles as Star Fox.
0: Both of them immediately had a lot of presence and like a clear characterization. I get what these characters
1: are. Yeah.
0: They uh, fit right that... into the Guardians of the Galaxy crew.
1: They would. So and that's pretty much it for them. I guess they are the the people welcoming them to the galaxy. I'm not sure, uh, and then the post-post credit scene is Dane Whitman freaking out and and uh, about this really cursed-looking sword, going to touch it with evil, scary whispers, and then a voice coming in from off-screen being like, "Bruh, you probably don't want to do that."
0: Um, the voice of Mahershala Ali, who is playing, who is Blade. going
1: to be playing Blade.
0: Knows a thing or two about curses and swords, huh? Yup. His
1: name uh. is Blade. I did not recognize the voice. So I was like, who the heck is that guy?
0: I mean, I didn't like a hundred percent recognize it. Like that sure sounds like my Herschel Ali. And then I looked it up and yeah, it, it was
1: confirmed. Okay. And that's Eternals. Um,
0: That's Eternals. I, I kind of wish I hated it more than I did because I could see a redeemable movie in there that was just like ruined by corporate hubris and greed of having to like pump out this movie at this scale with the, this timeline when if you mm-hmm. just like let a bunch of people make a movie and they finish when they finished there could have been a good movie
1: i i have i agree i think i probably made it sound like i disliked the movie way more than i did i actually really did like eternals i said this to to my friend when we saw it at first i was like i don't think that was a particularly great movie. Like, I don't think I could recommend Eternals to, to other people, especially not if they want to know what the Eternals is about. But I'm like, I'm glad I saw that film. I I thought there was a lot in it to like. There was a, there was The directing was beautiful. The writing was okay. The acting was all over the place, but that's because the writing was just okay. And speaking of, do you want to wrap this up with a performance review? Let's do it.
0: So we're just going to go down the list of the major players in this movie and say if they're so good or no good. And uh, you can put a little sentence of flavor if you want to explain yourself. Mm -hmm. Starting with Gemma Chan as Cersei. You
1: know what? I got to give her a so good. Um, I think as as a leading lady, good stuff.
0: I got to agree. So good. Uh, She has a lot of star power, but um, the movie didn't give her much to do.
1: No, unfortunately not.
0: Uh, Kit Harington as Dane Whitman, A+. Plus. So good. I completely agree. He like I want to watch a whole movie of him and that's what the point of him was.
1: Mhm. Uh Richard Madden as Icarus. Icarus no good. Richard Madden? So good.
0: Richard Madden no good I'm going to say and with respect really? to Richard Na- Madden an actor I like. Um yeah, just like the the character was a lot of nothing and he didn't have a lot of chemistry or screen presence with the other People in this film, and I thought that it mm. hurt the movie. And you know, like the script didn't do him favors. It was a pretty tall order, but he didn't—he didn't fit in for me.
1: I got yeah, okay. I, I still like the the Man of Steel scene. Um, <laughs> do you remember that one where yeah, he screams that, no after killing someone <laughs> and fires um, his laser eyes?
0: Yeah, yeah. Just Richard Madden wanted to play Superman, I guess. I guess so. He, uh, he would Kumail be As Kingo. So good. So good. One of the best performances in the movie. Um, Harish Patel as Curran. So good. So good. Really good comic relief. Uh, Leah McHugh as Sprite.
1: I gotta give a so good, even though I I think Sprite was underutilized. I agree on both counts. So good
0: and um, didn't have much to do in the movie, but really memorable as a performance. Mm Mm-hmm um brian tyree henry as fastos
1: so good
0: uh so good what in the running for uh, stealing the show yes uh lauren ridloff as makari
1: i don't want to say no good but she's so little to do yeah
0: i mean she gets marginalized by no fault of her own but makari yeah. did not have a a good show in here
1: no um barry Hugan as druig I got to also give a no good, but that might be residual druid sucks energy. I also have to give it a no good. I have learned to like Barry Hugan as an actor,
0: and I could see him trying to do stuff here, but yeah, he couldn't He couldn't cut through the noise.
1: No. Uh,
0: Don Lee as Gilgamesh.
1: So good. So good. One,
0: one of the best uh, movie star performances in the movie were just like he took up the screen and you couldn't take your eyes off him. Yeah. Um, Selma Hayek as Ajax, No good. Yeah, no good. Selma Hayek is probably my favorite member of this cast, which makes me so mad. Yeah. Um, we got Angelina Jolie as Thena. She was also no good. Yeah, and this really bummed me out because she did have stuff to do, and just, like, it wasn't a good performance. It was very unwinning.
1: Yeah. I wonder um, if she was told you have to be out of it the whole time, and just played it too low key
0: yeah i don't i don't know what was going on set obviously but like uh that performance uh didn't work for me in a big mm-hmm. way it really uh let down that part of the movie um for sure. i want to just uh, t- uh talk about two more players we got uh ramin Diaudi, the composer of the soundtrack
1: so good
0: so good. One of the best doing it. He did the soundtrack to the original Iron Man 1 and this is his first time back in the MCU and that's a stupid shame. These movies could have had such better soundtracks if they kept him around.
1: Yeah. No no disrespect to, to Michael Gian- Giacchino. But. No disrespect to
0: him. But maybe disrespect to some other guys. But we're not going to name names. <laughs> um, and I don't I... know
1: any of the other names.
0: And uh, the last is going to be Chloe Zhao. Chloe Zhao. <laughs>
1: I think I have to give so good to Chloe Zhao the director and no good to Chloe Zhao the writer
0: I think I'm going to have to give it an incomplete really yeah because we didn't see I feel like uh, I could see her good contributions to the movie I could see her bad contributions to the movie but a lot Mm -hmm. of the bad parts were not her I feel and I I have a lot of trouble seeing what movie she had and I bet Mm. that could have been more redemptive than the final product we got
1: gotcha um, okay,
0: that was Eternals. I was yeah, that was interesting.
1: Yeah. What
0: are we talking uh, about next time?
1: Next time, more Eternals. Oh Yay! my goodness! But the long road has arrived. We are at our destination. We're one stop away, because now we're going to be reading what was not completed when we started this, but is now, Kieran Gillen's Eternals Run which was 12 issues, uh, so it's Eternals Volume 5, 1 through 12, three one-shots titled Celestia, Heretic, and Thanos Rises, and then Judgment Day and its assorted tie-ins. So what we're going to be reading and talking about with regards to Judgment Day is specifically the stuff that's collected in the Judgment Day and Judgment Day uh, companion uh, books, which are the main uh, Judgment Day book, The three tie-ins, Avengers, X-Men, and Eternals. It's AXE and then Avengers, X-Men, and then Eternals. Um, Avengers, X-Men, Death to Mutants 1 through 3. Uh, Avengers, X-Men, Eternals, uh, Eve of Judgment. I'm trying to remember these off the top of my head. Wow, that's very impressive. AXE, Star Fox, which is a one-shot. And there's one more I'm missing. I think it's uh, Judgment Day Omega. I think I that might be. You're the last right. One. That was incredible.
0: I cannot believe you just did that.
1: Let's see. Do I get it right? We're not doing any of the like Immortal X Men, X-Men Red, Avengers, none of those uh tie-ins, even though, you know, if you want to read them, go do it. Um they they were all pretty good. Uh yes, they ah, were. the one the one I missed was uh, free comic book day, the the like six page story from that.
0: <laughs> the, um, you know, that doesn't count, that only counts a little bit.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm surprised that this trade didn't list the Omega issue, but may- maybe it actually is in there and my list is incomplete.
0: I know how much that would trouble you, but, uh, we're going to read it and it ought to be a good time.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a great time. Uh, I, th- I think we're going to have, a. it's going to be very interesting, t- going to be very interesting to go back to this because this was the first Eternal stuff I read. Well, I read the first 10 issues of Kirby's stuff, but this was the first like major Eternals thing. And now that we've read everything else, we get to see what, what Karen and company were picking up on.
0: Yeah. I'm really excited to give it a, another look. Yeah. Um, until then, where can folks find you on the larger internet?
1: They can find me on Twitter at Quetzalish. That's Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H. Um, again, I'm probably not posting there it's kind of a, a, you know, a zombie account. Who knows if it'll still exist by the time this episode comes out. I don't know. I'm very bad about shutting down accounts. <laughs> uh, but you can actually find me uh, writing at Multiversity Comics, and you can email me at erosner at com. Jaina, where can they find you on the larger interwebs? And then I'll do the trade rundown.
0: Uh, I can also be found on multiversitycomics.com, which is a pretty great website. And my social media handle is rambling moose on Twitter. That would be at rambling underscore moose. And on Tumblr, that would be ramblingmoose.tumblr.com. Get on Tumblr. It's a fun place.
1: Yeah. And I've, I've heard tales that it is, it is back and alive again. Uh, for those who are reading in trade, the Karen Gillan trades are Eternals volume one, which collects issues one through six, uh, It's called Only Death is Eternal, Volume 2, Hail Thanos, which has 7 through 12. And then I think Eternals, A History Written in Blood is the third and final trade, which collects uh, Celestia, the Heretic, and Thanos Rises. Uh, And that's Volume 3. And that's pretty much everything. We will see you next time as we return from space and come back. To Earth, I guess. Excelsior! (laughs)